Well, viewers and listeners, we're here with a very exciting guest this week, uh, Mr. Preston Manning, uh, well known to, I would say, all Canadians, or uh, very few, they must be living under a rock if they don't know who Preston Manning is. Uh, thank you, Mr. Manning, for joining us today. Okay, thank you. And I am going to uh, give you, a, for those who don't know too much about Mr. Manning, they know his name, but uh, maybe don't know everything about him. Here's a little snapshot of some of the things he's done, and then we're going to get around to talking about the National Citizens Inquiry that he is uh, launching. So uh, Mr. Manning was born in 1942. Uh, Preston Manning is the second son of longtime Alberta Premier Ernest C. Manning. Uh, growing up in a household which was both political and evangelical, he became intimately familiar with the political and religious experience of Western Canada, including its extensive and largely positive experience with populist movements, parties, and governments. Mr. Manning served as a member of Parliament from 1993 to uh, 2001. Uh, he founded two, not one, but two political parties, the Reform Party of Canada and the Canadian Reform Conservative Alliance, both of which became the official opposition in the Canadian Parliament and laid the foundation for the Conservative Party of Canada, the CPC. In 2006, the CPC formed a minority federal government under Stephen Harper, originally elected as a reformer, and in 2010, the CPC formed a majority government. Mr. Manning served as leader of the opposition from 1997 to 2000 and was also his party's science and technology critic. In 2007, he was made a Companion of the Order of Canada, and in 2013, he was appointed to the Privy Council. Mr. Manning graduated from the University of Alberta with a BA in economics. He provided consulting services to the energy industry for 20 years before entering the political arena. He has received honorary degrees from eight Canadian universities and is the author of four books, The New Canada, Think Big, Faith, Leadership, and Public Life, and most recently, do something, 365 Ways You Can Strengthen Canada. We may talk a little bit about this book. I'm privileged to have a copy that I got from Mr. Manning uh, at the what used to be the Manning Conference, uh, now is called uh, uh, Strong and Free. After leaving Parliament in 2001, Mr. Manning founded two nonprofit organizations, the Manning Foundation for Democratic Education um, and the uh, Manning Foundation for uh, and the Manning Center for Building Democracy. These organizations offer research, educational, and communication services designed to strengthen Canadian democracy. Boy, do we need that today. Canadian Confederation and the contributions there, thereto by conservative-oriented participants. In 2019, Mr. Manning began the process of retirement. I don't think you're quite there yet, uh, Preston. But the networking and conferencing functions of the Manning Center being assumed by the Canada Strong and Free Network. The Manning Foundation continues to support Mr. Manning's writing and political mentoring activities and to publish the conservative-oriented electronic journal, C2C. And that is also a great journal. We were fortunate to pick up some copies of that while we were at the conference in Ottawa this spring and appreciate uh, their work as well, those that work with you in that uh, organization. So, again, uh, it's a real privilege and honor to have you with us today. And and uh, when I say you haven't reached retirement yet, uh, 
I know you're moving cattle or you're waiting for the weather to, so you can move cattle. And you also have just launched the National Citizens Inquiry. And uh, that's so uh, so critical for people to understand what that's about. So that's the main thing we're going to get to. But I'd like to ask you a couple of short questions, if I could, first, before we go there. Sure. One, what was it like growing up in the household of Ernest C. Manning? Uh, he's he's an icon in Canada. And uh, in a few words, what, what happened in as a child there? Well, I I sort of got exposed to politics and government. Although though in those days the political people tended to keep the family separate from the political. They didn't use the family as a you know here's my lovely wife, here's my kids, vote for me. <laughs> they tried to keep it separate, so it really didn't affect us much. As uh, I my father was raised on a homestead in Saskatchewan and always believed you should have land. So he, even when he was premier, we had a dairy farm about a half an hour uh, northeast of Edmonton. So I went to a, a country school and uh, Horse Hill High School and uh, it didn't seem to create much of an impression on them that I came from a political family. <laughs> so, and then, of course, he, he had a, uh, we, our family had a Christian uh, commitment and and that was a very strong thing inculcated into me when I was a youngster. So your, yeah. your father was uh, well known as a, a preacher as well, right? Well, he took William Aberhart pioneered religious, well, basically pioneered radio broadcasting in Western Canada, and 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 he put on this religious uh, uh, program from the uh, Bible Institute in. Uh, in Calgary, and my, my father went there as a student, and he carried that radio ministry on after Abraham died, even when my father was premier. Yeah, yeah. So, when did you first sense that you were uh, destined to get involved in politics? Was that well? I, I didn't really set out that way. I started. I started out in physics at university, and. Uh, and I found I couldn't handle the math, so I went into economics, where you can change the you can make <laughs> the math work by changing the assumptions. And uh, then I went into management consulting business for about twenty years. Although I always had the political interest, and uh, but uh, then in the late nineteen eighties, when uh, the, you know the, the, I, I felt there was a need for something new and different, uh, I, I had a background that made it fairly easy to pursue that goal. But I never started out with that particular goal in mind. Yeah, interesting. And when when you launched the Reform Party, uh, that that was in order to bring change because you saw there was a need for to shake up the establishment. Uh, apparently, I don't know, put words in your mouth, but I, I that's sort of how I see it. That uh, the big parties had become fairly entrenched at that time, and uh, you thought they needed an, a new voice there. Uh, you started on the outside, but you didn't stay outside. Uh, your party ended up becoming, over the years, a major player. You became leader of Her Majesty's loyal opposition. And here, here's just one question, and I know you have good answers for this, or I wouldn't ask it. Uh, as opposition leader, what did you do uh, to bring attention to uh, the burden on taxpayers from excessive government spending. Well, we, the Reform Party, one of its main themes when it started was the uh, balancing the, the budget, the uh, 
in those days as today the the expenditures were out of control you had a growing deficit you had a growing debt e even under the progressive conservatives under uh, Brian Mulroney, even under a conservative party. So one of our big themes was to uh, uh, press for budget balancing. And uh, the, the, the liberals under Jean Chrétien in those days were, uh, Chrétien himself was quite pragmatic. He, he was not a philosophical person and uh, the liberal party wasn't uh, committed to balancing the budget. But when uh, reform got to two and a half million votes in the election pounding away on that theme i think the pollster <laughs> went uh, and said maybe you better balance the budget crash said, i guess we better balance the budget yeah. no, you, you <laughs> so got it one of our, our main themes yes yes so you got his attention so we'll come to the main main theme there i would love to talk to you about some of these other things for for hours but uh, um as up uh Last week, you launched the National Citizens Inquiry, and I, I saw the uh, announcement uh, you made in, in Ottawa and the press coverage of that, which was uh, very good. CPAC did a good job of recording your announcement. Um, give us an overview of the National Citizens Inquiry, what your vision is and what you hope to accomplish with that. Yeah, well, I'm basically a, a sort of a spokesperson for it. There's a lot of people uh, be behind that like the the COVID nineteen experience was just unprecedented in Canada. The the extent of the virus, but also the health protection measures that were adopted to cope with it, and a large number of people. I I've heard from a large number of people say there ought to be a an independent national inquiry into what went right, what went wrong. And most importantly, what lessons can be learned from it that would help better manage a national crisis in the future? So uh, a couple of us set up this uh, website, nationalcitizensinquiry.ca, and uh, encourage people to go and, and visit their nationalcitizensinquiry.ca. And one of the questions that's asked there, do you want a national inquiry? And uh, to this date, to some 20,000 people have said uh, yes, and we expect uh, more. So that was, this is basically a response to a large number of people want to see an inquiry. And th this thing is to be citizen-led. There's been discussions on should the government uh, have a royal commission or a commission under the Public Inquiries Act, and, and that's one thing they could do, but they tend to been resistant to that. And then people are suspicious anyway, because this would involve a government or governments investigating themselves. And so there'd be a credibility challenge there. So the idea behind this is that this should be citizen led. And uh, what, one of the other requests on that website is asking people, who would you trust to conduct such an inquiry? Who would you trust as commissioners? And we're collecting names along that line and we'll uh, investigate those folks and try to come up with five commissioners to conduct this uh, inquiry. This website will be live and basically inviting that kind of response for November and December. But the idea is then is to hold these hearings across the country. These would be public hearings, probably two to three days, in-person hearings, virtual participation. And uh, uh, in January, February, 
early March, concluding with a final hearing in <laughs> Ottawa, and then these commissioners being expected to produce a report, uh, basically on what they heard, what went right, what went wrong, but most importantly, what would they recommend to better handle these things in the future? Yeah. So that's kind of in a capsule what it's yeah. about. Great. Well, and you're going to be holding hearings, uh, like you said, across the country, uh, both coasts and and points in between, so that citizens. Yeah, the, the current planning, and it's partly dependent on how much support these hearings will have to be organized by local people. So it's very, very important we get volunteers to do this. But the current plan is to have one in uh, for Atlantic Canada in Moncton, uh, in Montreal for Quebec, in Toronto for Ontario, in Winnipeg for. Manitoba and Red Deer for Saskatchewan, Alberta, and Victoria for BC, and then, as I say, end up in uh, Ottawa probably in late March. And this uh, one of the primary goals from from your site and from what I've heard you say uh, in other interviews is uh, to uh, investigate the harms, uh, give people an opportunity to speak about the harms that they. Uh, suffered as a result of some of the uh, COVID. Yes, yeah, if, if folks go to that website, there, there's a couple of backgrounders there. One is an opinion survey that was done in the middle of October, in which 74% uh, of Canadians said that uh, they were harmed by these health protection measures. Now, now, this isn't talking about being harmed by COVID-19. There, there were people who were harmed by that, and there's statistics on that. But th this is 74% of Canadians saying they were harmed by the health protection measures. And there were four categories of harms. There were people that said that they were their health was harmed, either the people on the waiting lines or people had relatives die on the waiting lines because the Canadian system couldn't handle the surge increase and people that suffered harms from the vaccines. And then there was the rights and freedoms, people's rights and freedoms being circumscribed. There was those harms. And then, then there was the social harm from social distancing. In fact, when people were asked, which of these four categories of harms affected you and your family most seriously? The the social uh, harms from social distancing came up on top, and then the fourth category was the economic uh, harms. And, and so we expect people to testify at these hearings as to what these harms were. But uh, and I I can't prejudge what the commissioners will ask. But if I was one of them, I would then ask, okay, we've heard. The negative side we've heard the harms what would you propose could have been done different so that you didn't suffer those harms and i think that's one of the the answers to that question will produce one of the main results of this hearing if it's uh, uh, conducted right no very very good um do you know in that poll how, how many Canadians responded to that? Uh, well, no, this is a representative sample. These are 1,500. There's pollsters that do these, as you know, all, all the time. And we, we managed to ask one of them to tack a couple of these questions on. Usually a 1,500 a sample properly drawn across the country is, is representative. These results are good within 3 or 4%. They're not 100% accurate, but they give. And there's breakdowns between the different regions. Uh, in some regions felt that one harm was more serious than the other. Yeah. Uh, when people were asked uh, a second question about 
which of these harms do you think af affected the largest number of Canadians? Which ones affected the country as distinct from just you and your family? Yeah. The economic harms came up on the top well, when that question was asked. Uh, very, very uh, significant economic harms. I mean, I don't, <laughs> and we're going to be a long time recovering from this. Uh, and we'll need certainly some change in government uh, in order to recover at all. Um, these uh, requests for uh, suggestions for commissioners, uh, have, have you got some names coming in already? There's names coming in, and it's interesting. There's sort of two opinions on this. Some people suggest that the, the main qualification for being a commissioner is their objectivity, that they be more like a retired judge that they're not connected closely to the government or to one position or another yeah. so there's that looking for people like that who are pretty rare the, the other suggestion is that no you've got to have people on your panel who have expertise i mean this is a medical thing this is a legal there's a civil rights aspect to it there's economic and social aspects so you're going to have to have expertise on that panel so i i think what may happen is that maybe the chief commissioner will be somebody that's more objective and sort of distance from things but the other members of the panel will rep represent expertise in those areas. But we, we do have to get uh, names. And so far, there there's there, some, but there, we're going to have to get a lot more. I I heard the question was asked to you in the press conference, uh, uh, you know, about how it's going to be received. Will people see it as a, uh, as a you know, a neutral, uh, uh, an actual fact-gathering commission or whether there will be a bias to it? And I, I, you had a good answer. And uh, you probably have a good answer today for that question. Well, let's say we'll do everything we can to, to make it objective. And, and what I say to people who are suspicious of that, then why don't you apply to testify? If you think it's skewed or if you think what someone else has testified is skewed or you think it's misinformation, then don't just stand back and judge it, participate yourself. But but two or two conditions you should understand. One is you'll testify under oath. We'll have a commissioner of oaths there, so you'll be required to affirm that what you're what you're saying is the truth, the whole yeah. truth, and nothing but the truth. And secondly, you'll be subject to cross examination. Everyone will be subject to cross examination, and hopefully that will uh, ha help to guarantee the uh, objectivity, or that both sides or three sides of an issue will be presented, not just one. Yeah, right. Right now, today, the. Uh... Currently, the uh, there is the uh, Public Order Emergency Commission taking place, uh, and that's it's quite different. Number one, it's uh, run by the government, or uh, it was commissioned by the government, and may be directed, guided, and uh, handpicked by the government. Uh, but secondly, it's very much focused on the Emergency Act, the issuance of the Emergency Act, and you know some think it should have been more focused on what happened before the truckers uh, convoy because there, there was certainly damage done uh, and that your, your inquiry is going to pick up on that. Um, are, are there any other, uh, you see any other uh, thing that needs to be addressed in terms of comparing the two uh, the pub, the uh, well, pub. the emergencies one is very uh, yeah, is focused on one particular incident, and and undoubtedly that'll come up at this uh, 
citizens hearing, the the freedom uh, convoy, the uh, the economic damage that was done by uh, uh, to the truckers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what we're envisioning is something much broader than that uh, emergencies. And as I say, uh, not commissioned by the, the the government, so that it won't just be directed by the by the government. Yeah, yeah. So anything else that uh, that you think uh, we haven't covered that uh, people of Canada no, well the main main thing I'd, I'd say to your your viewers and listeners if they're concerned about this at all is to go to that website and and help to contribute because the credibility of this will depend on a, on a couple of things one is the number of people that say yes we want an inquiry uh, it, it's going to get its authority partly from that. Secondly, it'll get its credibility from the the nature and character of these uh, commissioners. So it's extremely important to get to who would you trust to do this and to uh, follow up on that. And then thirdly, its credibility will rest on who testifies at that uh, hearing. And uh, uh, people that are willing to do one or all of those things, that will help move this thing along. Yeah, well, I'm very excited uh, and uh, very uh, grateful to you for launching this and uh, taking the initiative, you and others working with you, to get this going. Um, and that's why it's clear that you have not reached retirement yet, uh, but you're still serving the people of Canada. Um, so nationalcitizensinquiry.ca is the website. And aside from... Um, asking people to make suggestions of uh for commissioners there's also a donate button there and that's important yes, yes. This, this has to be financed by uh people and and again one thing that'll help the credibility of it it's, it's far better to get small amounts of money from uh, large numbers of people than to get a big donation from just a few so right. again i think people can help create the 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 objectivity of it by making a small donation to that uh, and through that site we, we incorporated a federal uh, a federal not-for-profit company to receive the funds and to expend them on the expenditures that will be necessary and, and also looking for donations in kind these uh, if someone will donate the facility for having these hearings for example that would uh, all uh, all help so yeah. we're hoping it can all come together <laughs> well very good uh preston manning what a uh, treat to have a chance to chat with you about this we look forward to hearing more about it and uh, we hope that it gets fair coverage in the news it was you know fairly good uh, your press conference i think uh you carried it off well and and uh, hopefully the national media would would show an interest in this uh, because uh, when they when they ask us about will this be fair and objective i say oh, certainly it'll be just as fair as the cbc and the <laughs> editorial page of the toronto star and the yeah. political science department we've got these great models of objectivity to copy so we'll, yeah. we'll try to do that and even do better well, I think you're, it won't be hard to do better because, uh, you know, there's certainly lacking uh, that kind of integrity and credibility right now uh, in the existing national media that are financed by taxpayers through the government. Uh, 
largesse. And uh, so it's so important uh, what you're doing. Thank you for joining us today. Folks, uh, be sure to check this out at nationalcitizensinquiry.ca and uh, chip in a little bit to, to help make this a success. And if you think of someone that should be a commissioner that you would trust and that others would trust, by all means, send that name in. And uh, Mr. Manning and others will will take your comments seriously because uh, he cares about people. I notice uh, always throughout your career, your political career, uh, you've always trusted the citizens. Uh, that's been kind of a hallmark of your vision. And uh, so we, we thank you for, and, and you regard yourself not only as a politician, but as a citizen yourself. And, and I think that's uh, the spirit in which you're launching this uh, as a concerned citizen of Canada. So again, thank you, Preston. Okay, May. thank you very much. Okay. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Thanks for listening to CHP Talks. For more content you don't want to miss, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast, CHP Talks. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. To view our weekly episodes in a video format, you can find us on Brighteon at brighteon.com forward slash channel forward slash CHP Canada. On BitChute at bitshoot.com forward slash channel forward slash CHP Canada. Now, social media censorship and the cancel culture have restricted what we can discuss on YouTube. But most of our programs can still be found on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash CHP Canada. Thanks for joining us. Please share this information with others. After all, speaking the truth is an act of love. I'm Rod Taylor, National Leader of CHP Canada and your host of CHP Talks. See you next week.